0: Psalm seventy-two. <coughs> well, we'll read a whole psalm. Yeah, we'll be focusing on the, the first verse, probably uh, the the first part of the psalm. Psalm seventy-two, a psalm of Solomon. Give the king your judgments, O God, and your righteousness to the king's son. He will judge your people with righteousness, and your poor with justice. The mountains will bring peace to the people, and the little hills by righteousness. He will bring justice to the poor of the people. He will save the children of the needy, and will break in pieces the oppressor. They shall fear you as long as the sun and moon endure throughout all generations. He shall come down like a, like rain upon the grass before mowing, like showers that water the earth. In his days the righteousness shall flourish, an abundance of peace until the moon is no more. He shall have dominion from also from sea to sea, and from the river to the ends of the earth, those who dwell in the wilderness will bow before him, and his enemies will lick the dust. The king of Tarshish and of uh, the isles uh, will bring presents, and the king of Sheba and Siva will offer gifts. And all kings shall fall down before him; all nations will shall serve him, for he will deliver the needy when he cries. The poor also and him who has no helper, he will spare the poor and needy, and will save the souls of the needy, he will redeem their life from oppression and violence, and precious shall be their blood in his sight. He shall live and he shall live, and the gold of Sheba will be given to him. Prayer also be will be made for him continually and daily he shall be praised. There will be an abundance of grain in the earth, on the top of the mountains. His fruit shall wave like a Lebanon, and those of the city shall flourish like grass of the earth. His name shall endure forever, His name shall continue as long as the sun, and men shall bless in him. be blessed in him, and all nations shall call him blessed. Blessed be the Lord God, the God of Israel, who only does wondrous things. And blessed be his glorious name forever. And let the whole earth be filled with his glory. Amen and amen. The prayers of David, the son of Jesse, are ended. Beloved in the Lord. Psalms, uh, there are many Psalms, 150 in total. Written by many different human authors authors from different time. David wrote 73 psalms, 12 written by Asaph, 10 by the sons of Korah, 2 by Solomon, 1 by Ethan Ezraite, and 1 by Moses. Psalm 90 was written by Moses, famous verses. From Psalm 90, a thousand years in your sight are like yesterday, when it is past. The days of our lives are seventy years, and if by reason of strength they are eighty years. So Moses composed this psalm probably when he was alive. That means about four century, four hundred years before David. Uh, and David wrote a bunch of psalms. There's another one. Psalm 137 probably was written when the people of Israel were in exile in Babylon. It goes like this, by the rivers of Babylon that we sat down and wept. So we probably can guess this was written about 400 years later uh, after David. So you can see there's a huge time span between uh, the dates of some Psalms. The composition of the Psalms. You can see the Psalter Psalms were accumulated and compiled uh, by the stages over a long period of of time. And they were, must be compiled by someone. Psalm 72 gives that clue. When it says, at the end of the Psalm, the prayer of David, the son of Jesse, are ended. And then you can notice at the end of the psalm, uh, the prayer of the, uh, David, son of Jesse's, Jesse, are ended. And then after, you, you go to Psalm 73. But between, you, you notice the title. Uh, there's a mark, book 3. The psalms are divided into th- five parts or sections. Book 1, Psalm 1 to 41, probably arranged by David. Probably was arranged by David and Book Two, 42 to 72, 42, um, famous Psalm, like a thirsty deer looking for um, water, and Psalm 72, which we read. It's a book number two, and then many people believe that Book Number Two was also arranged by David. That's why Book Number One, Book Number Two, have many, mostly are David's Psalms. And it goes on. Book number 3, 4, 5. Book 3 was probably organized, some people say, by Hezekiah or Josiah, uh, who brought the reformation of worship. Now, one certain thing about these Psalms is that these Psalms are not compiled in chronological order. As I said, a good uh, example is the Psalm of Moses. Psalm of Moses that comes later. Psalm 90, it doesn't come as as a Psalm 1, because just because Moses lived earlier than David. No. Another good example is the psalm that we just read, Psalm 72. The last prayer of David, it says. But the interesting thing is, another psalm of David appears later, too. So you can see whoever compiled the psalms, compiled in a thematic way, not in a chronological order. So here's the theme and points of the sermon. Give the king your judgment, O God. That is the theme of the psalm. That is what triggered this. This is the main petition of the psalm. And we're going to study, we're going to see by asking a question who is this king that the psalm is talking about? Second, what is this king supposed to do? And third, how was this task? The, the king's task was accomplished and there are blessings if the king does things faithfully and there is blessings to the nation and the king and how was that accomplished so it's very simple the psalm is very simple there's three parts first the theme petition verse 1 Give the king your judgment, O oh God, and your righteousness to the king's son. And then after that, there are many, of, many things that are mentioned about what is king going to do. And also, what are the consequences if the king does what he's supposed to do? And then at the end, there's a doxology, there's a, uh, there's a prayer, there's a praise. Uh, blessed be the Lord, that in, ends with doxology. So it ve- has a very simple structure. Give the king your judgment, O God, and then all those good things will happen to the king, and to the people, and to the nation. Now, first, if you look at uh, the verse 1, and above verse 1, you see, There's a little title there. It says a Psalm of Solomon, and later it raises our eyebrows because at the end of Psalm it also says the prayer of David. The question is, which one is it? Who wrote this Psalm? Is it Psalm of David or is it Psalm of Solomon? This is, seems to be a little trivial question, but this becomes important as we try to understand the question, who is this king? In verse 1 and all other verses. Give the king, the king, your judgment, O God, and your righteousness to the king's son. So there are two figures, if you want to call it that way. There's a king, as a king's son, who is this king, and who is this king's son? Well, king's son is probably obvious—Solomon, right? That's David, possibly. Uh, potential authors are David and Solomon. The king's son is Solomon. David was not king's son. His father was not king. So perhaps we might be tempted to say the king in the first line, verse 1, is David. Give the judgment to the king, O God. And the king's son, we probably think, is a Solomon. However, the answer is, both the king and the king's son, in verse 1, they refer to the same person, the king Solomon. Let me explain this way. The last line, it says, The prayers of David, the son of Jesse, are ended. Which means, which means this probably was one of the last prayers of David. Probably, probably the last one. David is he's on his deathbed. Before he dies, he's praying for the next king, the king, his son, Solomon. Not Adonijah, who rebelled against the kingdom king solomon you can imagine solomon and perhaps his mother were with david and solomon was he heard the prayers of david and later he wrote them down in his current uh, poetic form and also doesn't make sense if if david prays for him he's about to die and he says give the king give me O god the judgment that I can rule better no that's, that doesn't make sense it, rather it makes more sense to pray that the lord give his judgment to the next king the king his son so the answer of the question who is the king who is this king in psalm 72 is is a solomon there you go we have answered so we can go to the second point actually no there's something more that has to be said However, I'll talk about this more extensively in the third point. You see, all these good things that are mentioned, the nation will prosper, the mountains will uh, bring uh, justice, and so on. All those good things that David desired for the kingdom, yes, indeed was fulfilled in Solomon's time, but not in a full sense. This prayer, this petition was fulfilled in a full scale by the great son of David, Psalm 110, Jesus Christ. So we can say, yes, in, a, uh, in the original context, this was definitely, this was about Solomon, yes. But in the broad redemptive perspective, redemptive historical perspective, this prayer is also about the great son of David Jesus Christ. So the King in the King in Psalm 72 again it's first about is about King Solomon yet it is also about the Messianic King. Why is that? why why I mean why give the king your judgment oh God that is the main petition. why was that necessary for David to pray for God's judgment? well the reason is, In the Old Testament, kings were a very important figure. They were anointed. I mean, just like any other kings, but more so in the Old Testament time, the kings governed the whole community. In the Old Testament, not just the community, but God's people. Depending on how kings led the people, God's blessings would flow through Him to the people or God's chastisement or punishment came to the people. Good kings like David, Hezekiah, Josiah. The Lord blessed them. Even David at the end, he, he did something, he censored, he counted the number of people. And then the Lord was angry with him. So depending how the kings do, like evil kings Ahab, there was no rain for three years. So no wonder why David on his last day prayed for Solomon. Since Solomon is going to be the next king. His office is critical for the well-being of God's people. Isn't it somewhat true today? Now we are not living in the same uh, time as people in the Old Testament. Even, but even today, uh, kings... We don't have kings... We have a queen or presidents or prime ministers. Uh, they play a critical role that determines the well-being of the people. One single wrong decision may plunge the whole nation into devastating war. One single good decision can make whole nation prosper. One visit to the foreign country can bring all the goods. With the trading agreements and whatnot, Or it could be something else. Vice versa. One person's decision can make millions of people starve to death. We know that from the history. Like Mao in China. One person's wrong ideolo- ideology mixed with the pride. Can murder millions of people like Stalin. And here... I want you to remember this. Then listen to this remarkable statement of the wise king Solomon. He said in Proverbs 21, verse 1, he says like this, The king's heart is in the hand of the Lord, like the rivers of water. He, the Lord, turns it wherever he wishes. Okay. So, so the king who has who has enough power to make your life either miserable or comfortable even the most powerful human figure in the nation his heart is not within the grip of his own hand but his heart is in the hand of the Lord. That is confession of Solomon. The king, the powerful king. It's like a river of water. Water and rivers usually flow in one direction. It doesn't usually, it doesn't change its course. It's like a king, right? He just does whatever he wants and he's not going to change his ways. Yet, yet, however, it can also be changed its course. It can also change its course so rapidly by certain weather conditions, isn't it? So just like the river, after huge rain that can change its course rapidly, a king can turn around 180 degrees, can change, can his heart can be changed by the hand of the Lord. Now this makes us think that these days we, we don't have a king, we say. We don't have, we have a queen, but we have a constitutional monarch. We basically elect our own political leaders, and we say, powers come from the leader not from the leaders, but from the people. Have you ever not heard the constitution? So it seems like, some people may argue, Proverbs 21 verse 1 is less relevant, because it's talking about the king, not talking about the people. But think about this. Think about this. Proverbs 21 verse 1 is still relevant, because Think about it. If God can change a king's stubborn heart just like that, how much easier do you think it would be for God to change anyone's heart? So the main message here that Solomon, our David, is saying is, Do not fear the king. Fear the Lord. Indeed, Solomon was the most powerful man in the nation. He could go either way. He can administer justice. He can be a good king. Or he could be a brutal dictator. That was the case of David too. He can be a good king, but he can do silly things as well. David knew that very well. He made some mistakes in his life. That's why he said, and verse 1 is the key, give the king your judgment, O God. God, you have to give your judgment to the king it is absolutely necessary for the nation to prosper you have to give the king your judgment let's go to the second point what is this king supposed to do so verse 2 so what is he going to do with the judgment he will judge your people with righteousness and your poor with justice judgment, discernment, to know what is right and what is wrong. That is very crucial. We don't. It is very hard for us. We think we do, but we don't. Verse 3, Once there is a righteous king, the mountains will bring peace to the people. Peace. Peace. And that's what happened uh, during the reign of Solomon. The time of Solomon was the time of peace and rest. And we'll hear about them this evening more extensively. Solomon was the only king. Did you know that Solomon was the only king in the whole Israel's history who didn't have a war? This was only peaceful time that the temple was God could be built. Verse 4, he will bring justice to the poor of the people. He will save the children of the needy and will break in pieces the oppressor. Now, this will phrase will be um, repeated again in f- verse 14. He will redeem their life from oppression and violence. Right, the king brings justice. It's very, very important. In the redemptive history, in the Old Testament, God's measure, he, the way that he measures the spiritual well-being of God's people is by looking at the well-being of the poor, the needy, especially the widows and the orphans. The words widows and orphans, they are coupled and they appear so much in the Old Testament time as a measurement of the spiritual well-being of the people. So when pastors, when they're in the seminary, when they study Hebrews, when they, do not, when they know the word in Hebrew, widow, but they don't know the next word. They can just guess It is probably means orphan because they always come together. That's how frequently those words appear in the Old Testament. Widows and orphans. If you oppress widows and orphans, if the widows and orphans were not well taken care of, God is going to give you famine. God is going to give you disease and illnesses and disasters. But if they are well taken care of, If you let them harvest in your field, participate in a feast, as the Lord commanded in His his commandment, and then mountains will bring justice and peace will flow. The whole community will be blessed. Boaz, in the book of Ruth, is a good example, isn't it? Depending on how the leader does, The whole community community can prosper, flourish, or be punished. It applies in the household, isn't it? Depending on the how the head of the house leads the whole family. Is the head of the house um, following God's commandment? Does he have a zeal to lead the family to worship? Is he willing to encourage the members of the family to devote themselves, spend their time in devotion, or not? Does he love the Lord with all all his strength? Well, the spiritual well-being of the house depends on the leader of the house as well. Well, it's the same Uh, we can learn a good lesson in a congregational life as well. The principle is equally applied. Those who are helpless, those who are marginalized, those who need help, are they taken care of? Well taken care of within the congregation. Or are they being harassed or marginalized or even kicked out of the congregation? This makes the work of the elders and deacons very crucial. Are they willing to gather the congregation for the well-being of the people, or are they willing to just kick them out, even let them go? Well, it's not only, it, not, it not only involves with the works of the deacons, but the whole congregation is involved in this ministry. Verse 5, we see the good consequences. If you have a good king... If the king does all these good things, godly things, and they shall fear the king, everyone will welcome him, love him, just like the people would love to see a good rain upon their fields. Verse 7, there will be righteousness and abundance of peace. Again, peace. Verse 8, he shall have dominion and his enemies at the same time will lick the dust. They have nothing to do. Verse 10 and 11, there will be kingdom there will be uh, kings, uh, foreign kings will bring in, they will bring gifts, submitting to the king, uh, submitting to the king of Israel. So, Psalm 72, David wishes that this kingdom to flourish. And, again, I emphasize this principle, king has to be faithful to the God's commandment, the nation will flourish. If not, the nation will suffer. Now, did David's desire come true? Uh, yes, it did. It did. So this new king, Solomon, he brought justice. We've been going through 1 Kings. this past a couple uh, Sundays. 1 Kings chapter 3, Solomon's remarkable judgment on the two prostitutes. People saw that the wisdom of God was in him to administer justice. They feared the king. Same word, Fear the king. Verse 5. They shall fear you. Under Solomon's leadership, Israel had a dominion over other nations. Under his reign, there was a peace. People feared Solomon. Many nations and kings sent tributes, meaning they were submitting under Solomon's authority. And Solomon was also extremely wealthy. To give you an idea how wealthy he was, uh, let me summarize briefly uh, what was written in 1 Kings 10. Crazy, crazy, crazy amount of wealth. The weight of gold that came to Solomon yearly by 666 talents. As somebody calculating that in today's term, came up with the number 22 tons of gold each year. 22 tons worth over billion dollars. Solomon made his throne of ivory, very rare, hard to get, overlaid it with pure gold. The throne had the six steps, one, two, three, four, five, six, so number seven was the throne's number of perfection, completeness. There were armrests on the either side of the place of the seat, and two lions Stood beside the armrest. Can you imagine two lions? Um, When I was young, I was afraid of dogs. Intimidated. Imagine they're lions. Today, normally people have dogs and cats sitting right beside when they have when they rest on the couch. Uh, You sit on the couch. You have a dog. You pet them. Dog or cat, or they pet you. But imagine Solomon, he had two lions. Imagine how intimidating that would be. In the middle of the two lions, there's a king sitting on the throne. Every time you enter the king's court, you can see the lions staring at you. And that's not everything. There were 12 lions stood there. Nothing like this had been made for any other kingdom. Is that. All the Solomon's drinking vessels were pure gold. There's a little note emphasizing how wealthy Solomon was, how uh, the amount of incredible amount of uh, the wealth. He, he says in the First Kings ten, not one was silver. Silver is too cheap. Not to speak the amount of food that were served on the Solomon's table every day. You can read about that First Kings. So the bottom line is, the kingdom flourished. God showed in, in the principle, if the king is faithful to the Lord, leading people to the right way, the kingdom will flourish. God has shown them visibly. So again, what is the king supposed to do? Well, bring justice to Govern the kingdom with, with righteousness. Take care of the poor, widows, and orphans. And then most of all, most of all, fear the Lord. Honor your God. The key factor. Humble yourselves, just like King Solomon did. I'm like a child. Give me a discernment that I may govern these people. Who can govern these people except you? The most important key factor why the kingdom prospered is because the king honored God. It applies the same in the congregational life. applies the same in the family life as well. It's reminding us to the main theme of this psalm. Therefore, give this king your judgment, O God, so that the kingdom may prosper. Your judgment, O Lord, that is the key. You must give your judgment. Whatever form of the government that may be monarchy, constitutional monarch, or dictatorship, or democracy, whatever that is, it is still people or a person who governs. God has to give them discernment. That is David's confession. And that is that has to be our confession too. However, sadly, Solomon's later days were not like his former days. He was good initially, but that didn't last long. Later, 1 Kings 11 tells us about the downfall of Solomon. His heart was not like before. He loved many foreign women. When Solomon was old, his wives turned his heart after other gods. Solomon built temple, and later, but later he built high places for for Chemosh, the abomination of Moab, Molech, abomination of Ammon, Molech, his famous god, pagan god, requesting that people thought that Molech, you have to sacrifice little children to this god, Molech. His heart. Left. It's not in the right place. His heart does not seek the kingdom of God first anymore. His heart was with foreign women. And then the consequences are very devastating. Well, at least Solomon built a temple of God, he was known for uh, building projects but there were also some problems with his building projects according to 1 kings 12 this enormous gigantic building project required so much human resource and resources 1 kings 12 verse 4 there there are some complaints from the people saying your father made our yoke heavy now therefore lighten the burdensome service of your father and his heavy yoke, which is which he put on us, and we will serve you. That's the uh, that's the that's the uh, beginning of the Jeroboam's rebellion, and the request of Rehoboam, uh, the king's son Solomon's son. Heavy construction, seven years of building temple, and thirteen years of building Solomon's palace. He was a great king, yet he took a lot from the people. He was a great king, but to some people, he was a brutal dictator. The people wanted to relief from the heavy taxation and forced labor. In the ancient days, um, many countries required labor service as a, uh, as a way of taxation as well. You can pay tax through, let's say, six years of labor or six years labor, uh, military service and so on. So even this great king Solomon, at the end, he was not respected. People hated him. Again, this reminds us of the, of the importance of this petition. Give the king your judgment. If you draw away your judgment, your wisdom from the king, even the greatest king on the earth is Solomon. People will not fear him. He will become brutal dictator. Let's go to the third point. How then? How was this accomplished? The redemptive history gives us a clear lesson. As long as we live on this earth, earthly kings will fail. They will disappoint us. Earthly government will always disappoint us. Because there are we are all after all we are all totally depraved. Politicians, they say one thing, but they change their wordings all the time. God already warned Israel about this in first Samuel eight. People wanted king, rejecting the sovereignty of the Lord. People um, Technically speaking, they were not asking for democracy. No. But the idea was already there. A soul, a man after, he's a king after man's own people's heart. Samuel said uh, in 1 Samuel 8, that the king will exercise his authority. He will take away your property. He will impose heavy tax. Take your sons and daughters as his servants. They will take your crops one-tenth They will ask your sons to work in his field. And you cry out that day, the Lord will not listen to your cries. Nevertheless, the Lord was still gracious, giving the King David, the man after God's heart. David was not a perfect king. He did injustice to Uriah by taking his wife. He committed murder by killing Uriah committed adultery with his wife. The Lord was still gracious, yet making David to repent. Indeed, it is true, the king's heart is in the hand of the Lord like the rivers of water. He turns it wherever he wishes. It makes us to make the same petition. Therefore, God you have to give our leaders your judgments. Apostle Paul commands us to pray for those who are in authority over us. The same line he says, "I exhort first of all the supplications, prayers, and intercessions, and giving of thanks to be made for all men, for kings and all who are in authority." That we may lead a quiet and peaceful life in all God. Again, peace. Peace. Strive for peace. I exhort, first of all, he said, Paul said, first pray for the kings and all who are in authority. That's what David did. You know, some people may argue, hey, come on, like he, he did that because he's his son. He did that because Solomon is about to be king. Yet, if you read carefully throughout 1 Samuel, you see David always had this idea that kings are anointed by God. Therefore, he dared not to harm a king. Rather, he respected the king remember david although Saul wanted to kill him david always always respected him treated him with the honor my lord david refused to retaliate Saul david didn't even dare to do so because he was the lord's anointed and he even killed the amalekites who claimed to kill solomon sorry the Saul and david in second samuel chapter 1 so how are all this, this one, these wonderful things accomplished on this earth? I would say by petition. Verse 1 is the key. Acknowledge that King's heart is in the hands of the Lord. Therefore, we ought to pray honestly to the Lord. Give the King, the leaders, your judgment, O God. Before before uh, you go to the protest. Before, I mean, it is not biblical to raise a flag that says F. Trudeau. It is not. According to the Bible, you still have to respect the authorities. You can protest peacefully, strive for peace, yes, And before you do that, you make a petition. Give the king your judgment, O God. That must come first. Acknowledge that king's heart is in the hand of the Lord. That's what the Lord wants us to do. Acknowledge him. So this petition was partially fulfilled in Solomon, All these good things in Psalm 72 were partially fulfilled in Solomon. However, as I said, the earthly kings, even King Solomon disappointed us, makes us to look forward to the kingdom of God in full scale. Because this psalm is fulfilled in fullness only in the reign of King Jesus Christ the true peace that the mountains will bring, the true justice to the poor, true salvation of the children of the needy, liberation of those who are being oppressed. All those things are fulfilled in Christ alone in full scale. Luke chapter 4, 16, Christ has said, that the Father sent him to proclaim good news to the poor, and liberty to the captives. Christ emphasized care for the oppressed, especially the orphans and widows, the marginalized like lepers, prostitutes, and tax collectors. He encouraged his people to take care of the marginalized ones by saying, Inasmuch as you did to this one of the least of these my brethren, you did it to me. Indeed, Christ, he said, someone greater than Solomon is here. He's talking about himself. He, brought, he brings the full fulfillment of justice and righteousness. So whenever we are disappointed by the politicians, some politicians are good, but as we learned, it doesn't last forever we can be disappointed yet it's supposed to draw our attention to the kingdom of God acknowledge the Lord is the king if you go back to Psalm 72 it's too bad I'm not able to go through all the verses but I'm going to pick on the main theme the one really nice expression in verse 5 and verse 7 they shall fear you as long as the sun and moon endure. Now we go to 7. In his days, the righteous shall flourish and abundance of peace until the moon is no more. Sun, moon, and again verse 7, moon. Sun and moon will be on the sky, on heaven, as long as the humanity exists. So the main point of these verses are, is the Lord is he's going to bless the king as long as the sun and the moon, so to speak, endure, which means for a very long time. There will be peace and people will fear the king as long as the sun and moon are hanging on heaven. Longevity. Now it's really fascinating if you study the origin of sun and moon in the Bible. According to Genesis 1.16, God made two great lights. And, and literally, and in our Bible translation does a good job. The great light to rule the day. To rule, to govern the day. To take care of the day. And the lesser light to rule the night. The great light, of course, is the sun. Lesser light is the moon. God saw that it was good. Evening, morning, fourth day. Now, wait a minute. There was already a light the day one. There was already a light. Let there be light. But God gave, notice that God gave these two entities, light bearers, Sun and the moon to govern day and night on behalf of the light. God. God gave them light, the tools to govern day and night. So the kings are like that. God could have ruled the people himself, but God rules them through the governing authorities, giving them Something that they need comes from God, and God blesses them, and their reign their will last long like a sun and moon. But here's the trick when you go to the book of Revelation, chapter 20, 23, it says, The New Jerusalem had no need of the sun. Or the moon to shine in it, for the glory of God illuminated it. The Lamb is its light. So, Psalm 72 wishes a long reign of the king by using the expression like a sun and moon. Sun, moon, they will last as long as mankind exists. However, the kingship of the Lord Jesus Christ gives the light first to both sun and moon and the king. And the kingship of the Lord Jesus Christ endures forever. And it does not need sun or the moon, because he himself is the light. And there will be day that we are not going to see the sun and moon anymore, according to Revelation twenty one. Makes us to anticipate that those things are gone, the old things are gone, and the Lord himself will rule us. He himself is the light indeed, someone greater than Solomon. The light, Jesus Christ, will rule the whole universe someday. This is the perspective that we as Christians should have. Even King Solomon failed. I can guarantee you, any politician's will can disappoint you. First Samuel chapter 8. Place your hope in the Lord your God in heaven. Place your hope in the King Jesus Christ. In the meantime, pray for the authorities. Give the King your judgment, O God. Until the Lord Jesus